Alright, Ashley Black reading Nora Roberts' book, Inner Harbor, Chapter 15. And it's one of my favorite chapters of all time of this book. The 90-minute appointment with the Baltimore lawyer had left Sybil jittery and exhausted. She thought she'd been prepared for it. After all, she had two and a half days to get ready since she called first thing Monday morning and had been squeezed into a schedule on Wednesday afternoon. At least it was over, she told herself, for this first stage of it was over. It had been more difficult than she imagined to tell a perfect stranger, professional or not, the secrets and flaws of her family and herself. Now she had to cope with a cold, chilly rain, Baltimore traffic, and her own less-than-stellar driving skills. Because she wanted to put the traffic in the driving off as long as possible, she left her car in the parking garage and faced the rain as a pedestrian. Fall had already pushed Summer back a big step in the city, she noted, shivering as she scooted across the street at the crosswalk. The trees were starting to turn little blushes of red and gold edging the leaves. The temperature had plummeted with the wet weather, and the wind lashed out, tugging at her umbrella as she approached the harbor. She might have prepared preferred a dry day so she could have wandered, explored, appreciate the nicely rehabbed old buildings, the tidy waterfront, the historic boats moored there, but it had its appeals even in hard, frigid rain. The water was stone gray and choppy, its edges blurry into the sky, so there was, wasn't possible to think where the where either ended, most of the day visitors and tourists had taken shelter indoors. Any who went by went by in a hurry. She felt alone and insignificant, standing in the rain, looking at the water, wondering what the hell to do next. With a sigh, she turned to the study of the shop. She was going to do a birthday party on Friday. She reminded herself it was time she bought her nephew a present. It took her more than an hour comparing, selecting, rejecting art supplies. Her focus was so narrow she didn't note the bright glee in the clerk's eyes as she began to pile up her choices. It had more, more than six years since she'd bought Seth a gift. She thought she was going to make up for that. It had been just the right pencils, the perfect collection of chalks. She examined watercolor brushes as if the wrong choice would mean the end of the world as she knew it. She tested the weight and thickness of drawing paper for 20 minutes then agonized over a case for all the supplies. In the end, she decided simplicity was the answer. A young boy would likely feel more comfortable with a plain walnut case. It would be durable too, if he took care. It was something he would have for years. Maybe after enough of those years passed, he could look at it and think of her kindly. Your nephew's gonna be thrilled, the clerk informed her giddy as she rang up the purchases. These are quality supplies. He's very talented. Distracted, Sibyl began to nibble on her thumbnail, a habit she'd broken years before. You'll pack everything carefully and box it? Of course. Janice, would you come over here and give me a hand? Are you from the area? She asked Sibyl. No, no, I'm not. A friend recommended your shop. We are very much appreciated, Janice. We need to pack and box these supplies. Do you gift wrap? Oh, I'm sorry we don't, but there's a sanitary store in the center. They have a lovely section of gift wrap and ribbon and cards. Oh, God, was all Sibyl could think? What kind of paper did once use for an 11-year-old boy? Ribbon? Did boys want ribbons and bows? That comes to $583.69, the clerk beamed at her. How would you like to pay for it? Five! Spill caught herself. Obviously, she decided she lost her mind. <laughs> Nearly $600 for a child's birthday. Oh, yeah, she actually got on the thing. Do you take Visa? She asked weakly. Absolutely. Still beaming, the clerk held out her hand for the gold card. I wonder if you could tell me. She blew out her breath as she took out her file flags and slipped to the queues in the address. How to get to this address? Sure, it's practically around the corner. It would be, Sibyl thought. Phil had lived several blocks away. She might have resisted. 
It was a mistake, she warned herself as she struggled back onto the, out in the rain, fighting with two enormous shopping bags and an up come uh, uncooperative umbrella. She had no business just dropping in on him. He might not even be home. It was 7 o'clock. He was probably out to dinner. She would be better off going back to her car and driving back to the shore. The traffic was lighter now. If the rain wasn't, at least she could call first. But damn it, her cell phone was in her purse, and she only had two hands. It was dark and it was raining. She probably wouldn't find his building anyway. She didn't locate it within five minutes. She would turn around and go back to the parking garage. She found a tall, sleekly elegant building within three and within three and despite a case of nerves stopped stepped gratefully into the warm dry lobby. It was quiet and classy, with ornamental trees and copper pots, polished wood, a few deep cushioned chairs in neutral tones. The familiar elegance would have relieved her if she hadn't felt like a wet rat invading a luxury liner. She had to be crazy coming here like this. Hadn't she told herself when she set out for Baltimore that day that she wouldn't do this. She hadn't told him about the appointment because she hadn't wanted him to know she would be in Baltimore. He'd only try to persuade her to spend time with him. For heaven's sakes, you just seen him on Sunday. There was no sensible reason for this desperate urge to see him now. She would go back to St. Christopher's right now because she had made a terrible mistake. She cursed herself as she walked to the elevator, stepped inside, and pushed the button for the 16th floor. What was wrong with her? Why was she doing this? Oh, God. What if he was home, but he wasn't alone? This year, Mortification of that possibility struck her like a blow to the stomach. They never said anything about exclusivity. He had a perfect right to see other women. For all she knew, he had a platoon of women, which only provide proves she'd lost all common sense by becoming involved with them in the first place. She couldn't possibly drop in on him like this, unannounced, uninvited, unexpected. Everything she'd been taught about manners, protocol, acceptable social behavior ordered her to stab the down button and leave. Every ounce of pride demanded that she turn around before she was humiliated. She had no idea what it was that overcame all that and pushed her out of the elevator into the door of 1605 don't do this don't do this don't do this the order screamed in her head even as she washed her fingers to press the buzzer beside his door oh god oh god oh god what have i done what will i say how can i explain please don't be home with her last desperate thought seconds before the door opened so bill his eyes widened in surprise his lips curved lord help her she began bill i'm so sorry i should have called i don't mean to i shouldn't have i had to come into the city and i just here, let me have those. You buy out the store? He was pulling the wet bags up and rising. You're freezing. Come inside. I should have called. I was. Don't be silly. He dumped the bags and began to pillow her out of her dripping banquet. You should have let me know you were coming into Baltimore today. When did you get in? I, about 2.30. I had an appointment. I was just, it's raining. She blurted out hitting herself. I'm not used to driving in traffic. Not really used to driving at all, actually. And I was a little nervous about it. She rambled on while he studied her. His bro slipped it. Her cheeks were flushed. He didn't think it was from the cold. Her voice was skittish. And that was new. Interesting. She couldn't seem to figure out what to do with her hands. <coughs> Through the raincoat, had... Though the raincoat had protected her neat slit, slate gray suit, her shoes were soaked and her hair was dewed with rain. You're wired up, aren't you? He murmured, put his hands on her arms, rubbed up and down warm and relax. I should have called, she said for the third time. It was rude, presumptuous. No, it wasn't. A little risky. Maybe if you got here 20 minutes earlier, I wouldn't have been home yet. Drew her a little closer. Drew her a little closer. Sibyl, 
Relax. <laughs> okay. She closed her eyes. Amusement flickered into his own as he watched her take slow deep breaths. Does that breathing stuff really work? He asked with a chuckle. The irritation in her voice was barely noticeable, but it was there. Studies have proven that the flow of oxygen and mental focus relieves stress. I bet. I've done studies of my own. Let's try my way. He broke. He brought his mouth to hers, rubbed gently, persuasively, until hers softened, yielded, warmed. His tongue danced lightly over hers, teasing out a sigh. Yeah, that works for me. He murmured, brushing his cheek over a damp hair. Works just fine for me. How about you? Oral stimulation is also a proven remedy for stress. He joked. I'm in danger of becoming crazy about you. How about some wine? <laughs> she didn't care to analyze his definition of crazy just then. I wouldn't mind one glass. She wouldn't really... I'm driving. It's <laughs> not tonight, you know. He stopped, but only smiled. Sit down. I'll be right back. She went back to the concentrated breathing as he slipped into another room. After her nerves settled a bit, she studied the apartment. A conversation pit and deep forest green dom dominated the living area. In its center was a square coffee table. Riding over it was a large sailboat and what she recognized as Mordo grass. Glass. A pair of green iron candlesticks held fat white candles. At the far side of the room, there was a small bar with a pair of black leather stools. Behind it was a vintage poster for Nutisagorgeous Burgundy that Depicted an 18th century French cavalry officer sitting on a cask with a glass, a pipe, and a very satisfying smile. The walls were white and splashed here and there with art, a framed print of stylish poster for Tentiero Champagne. With an elegant woman, surely that was Grace Kelly, in a slick black evening gown behind a slim flute of bubbling wine, hung over a round glass table with curved steel legs. There was a John Perrault Prince, an elegant reproduction of Alphonse Mutduck's Autumn. Lamps were both sparely modern and elegantly deco. The cover was thick and pale gray. The uncurtained window, wide and wet with rain, shut the room displayed masculinity, electric, and witty tastes. She was admiring a brown leather footstool in the shape of a barnyard pig when he returned with two glasses. I like your pig. He caught my eye. Why don't you tell me about what must have been a very interesting day? I didn't even ask if you had plans. She noted he was dressed in a soft black sweatshirt and jeans and wasn't wearing any shoes. That didn't mean I do now. Taking her hand, he led her across the deep cushion, U-shaped sofa. He saw the lawyer this afternoon. You knew about that? He's a friend. He keeps me up to date. And Philip admitted to himself he'd been actually disappointed when she hadn't called him to let him know she was coming to the city. How'd it go? Well, I think he seems confident that the guardianship will go through. I couldn't persuade my mother to make a statement, though. She's angry with you. Still took a quick solemn one. Yeah, she's angry. No doubt deeply, deeply regrets the military lapse that allowed her to tell me what happened between her and your father. It's difficult for you. I'm sorry. She looked down at their linked fingers. How easily he touched, she thought absently, as if it was one of the most natural things in the world. I'm a big girl. Since it's doubtful that this little incident, however newsworthy it is in St. Christopher's, will wipe across the Atlantic to Paris, she'll get over it, will you? Life moves on. Once the legalities are dealt with, there won't be any move, motive for Gloria to make trouble for you and your family. For Seth, she will, I imagine, continue to make trouble for herself, but there's nothing I can do about that. 
Nothing I want to do about it. Cold Creek, Philip Wonderhorn defense. Even after the legal deeds are dealt with, Self will still be your nephew. None of us would stop you from seeing him or being part of his life. I'm not part of his life, she said, flat, she said flatly. And as he makes his life, it would only be distracting and uncontractive for him to have reminders of his old life. It's a miracle that what Gloria did to him hasn't scarred him more deeply. Whatever sense of security he has is due to your father, to you and your family. He doesn't trust me, Philip, and he has no reason to. Trust has to be earned. You have to want to earn it. She rose, walked to the dark window, and looked out of the city lights that wavered behind the rain. When you came to live with Ray and Stella Quinn, when they were helping you change your life to make yourself, did you maintain contact with your mother, with your friends in Baltimore? My mother was a part-time whore who resented every breath I took. My friends were dealers, junkies, and thieves. I didn't want contact with any, with them any more than they'd wanted with me. Regardless, she turned back to face him. You understand my point? I understand it, but I don't agree with it. Imagine Seth does. Set his glass aside as he wants you there on his birthday Friday. You want me there, she corrected, and I'm very much appreciate you. I very much appreciate you for persuading Seth to allow it. So, Bill, speaking of which, she said quickly, I found your art store. She just tore the bags and sat by the door. That? Instead of all of that? Immediately she began a newborn or something now. It's too much, isn't it? I knew it. I got caught up. I can take some of it back or just keep it for myself. I don't take enough time to draw anymore. <laughs> Walked over to examine the bags. The box is inside. All this? With a laugh, he straightened. He'll love it. He'll go nuts. I don't want him to think of it as a bribe, like I'm trying to buy his affection. I don't know what got into me. Once I started, I couldn't seem to stop. <laughs> If I were you, I'd stop questioning my motives for doing something nice. Something impulsive and just a bit over the top. Gently tugged her hand down and stopped biting your nails. I'll not bite my nails. I never insulted. She looked down at her hands. Saw the ragged thumbnail. Oh, God. I'm biting my nails. I haven't done that since I was 15. Where's my nail file? Bill bitch closer to her. She grabbed her handbag and took out a small manager said, Were you a nervous kid? Hmm? A nail biter. It was a bad habit, that's all. Smoothly and efficiently, she began to repair the damage. A nervous habit, when you say, Dr. Griffin. Perhaps, but I broke it. Not entirely. Nail biting, murmured, moving toward her. Migraines. Only occasionally. Skippy Mills. Don't bother to tell me you've eaten today. I know better. Seems to me that your breathing and concentration isn't quite doing the job on stress. Let's try my way again. I really have to go. She was already being drawn into his arms before it gets too late. It's already too late. He brushed his lips over hers once, twice. You really have to stay. It's dark. It's cold. It's raining. He murmured, nibbling on, toying with her lips. And you're a terrible driver. I'm just... The nail file slipped out of her fingers. Out of practice. I want to take you to bed. I want to take you to my bed. The next, the next kiss was deeper. Longer, wetter. I want to slip you out of that lovely little suit, piece by piece, and see what's going on under it. <laughs> I don't know how you do this. Her breast was already coming too fast. Her body going too soft. I can't keep my thoughts in line when you're touching me. I like them scattered. 
He slid his hands under her trimmed jacket until his thumb skimmed the sides of her breast. I like you scattered and trembling. It makes me want to do all sorts of things to you when you're trembling. Quick flares of heat, sharp stabs of ice are already racing over her. What sort of things? He made a low, delighted sound against the side of her. I'll show you. He offered and picked her up. I don't do this. She pushed back her hair, staring at him as he carried her into the bed. Do what? Go to a man's apartment and let him carry me to bed. I don't do this. Well, well, just consider the change in behavioral patterns then. He kissed her thoroughly before laying her down on the bed. Caused by, he paused to light a tree of candles on an iron stand in the corner. Direct stimulation. That could work. <laughs> the candlelight did wonders for an already and possibly handsome face. It's just that you're so attractive. He chuckled and slid onto the big bed. It's a new better chin. And you're so weak. Not usually. Actually, my sexual appetites are slightly below average ordinarily. Is that so? You lifted her just enough to slip the jacket away. Yes, I found for myself. Oh, <laughs> That while a sexual interlude can be pleasant, her breath caught as his fingers slowly released the buttons of her left. Pleasant, he prompted. It, it rarely, if ever, has more than a momentary impact. Of course, that's due to my hormonal makeup. Of course, he lowered his mouth to the soft swell of her breasts that rose temporarily above the cups of her brow and linked. But... But she clenched her fist at her sides as his tongue swept under the fabric and shot off shock waves. You're trying to think. I'm trying to see if I can. How's it going? Not very well. You were telling, you were telling me about your hormonal, hormonal makeup. He reminded her, watching her face as he tugged her skirt down over him. I was, well, I had a point somewhere, she thought vaguely. She ever going through her as he traced the fingertip over her midriff. He saw with delight that she wore those sexy thigh-hugging stockings again, this time in sheer smoky black. He imagined she considered that the black bra panties were proper coordinations. <laughs> he thanked God for her practical mind. So, Bill, I love what goes on under your clothes. He moved his mouth to her belly, tasted heat and woman, felt her muscles quiver. She made a helpless little sound in her throat as her body shifted under him. He could take her anywhere, the power of knowing that flooded him like mine. As he took her, slowly now, wanting them both to linger at each stage, he let, he let himself sink, peeled those stockings down, those lovely, long thighs, following the path with his mouth all the way to her toes. Her skin was creamy, smooth, fragrant perfect and only more alluring when it quivered lightly under his he slipped fingertips and tongue beneath that silky fantasizing snug over her hips and teasing strokes so that she arched shuddered and moaned heat was there centered just there wet arousing heat when the teasing drove them both mad he stripped that barrier aside and plunged into that hot taste of her she cried out her body rising her hands fisting in his hair as he spun her to peak when she was limping gasping he took more and showed her more he could have anything everything she was powerless to deny him to stem the tidal wave of sensations that swamped her the world had become him only him the flavor of his skin in her mouth 
The flavor of his skin in her mouth, the texture of his hair against her flesh or in her hands, the movement of his muscles beneath her fingers, murmurs, his murmurs, echoed in her spinning head, the sound of her own name, a whisper of pleasure. Her breath sobbed out as she found his mouth with hers, poured everything she was into that. Hot flood of emotion, again and again, the urgent demand circled in her head as she clung and gave. Gave, gave. Now it was his hands that fisted on either side of her head as the shock of feeling slammed into him, flashing against desire, melting into a need so urgent it was pain. She opened for him, a restless invitation fell on her, sinking inside her. He lifted his head and watched her face in the golden shaft of candlelight. Her eyes were on his, her lips parted as the breath trembled through them. Something clicked, a look opening. A lock opening, a connection made. His hands grew open for hers, fingers twining together, slow, smooth, with each moment, fresh shock of pleasure, soft, silky, a promise in the dark. He saw her eyes glaze, felt the tension, the ripple, and closed his mouth over hers to capture gas as she climaxed. Stay with me, he murmured as his lips roamed her face, as his body moved in her. Stay with me. What choice did she have? She was defenseless against what he brought, her, brought to her, helpless to refuse what he demanded in return. The pressure built again, an internal demand that refused to be denied. When she tumbled free, he gathered her close and fell with her. I was going to cook. He said something sometime later when she lay over him, limping, speechless. But I think we'll order in and eat in bed. <laughs> All right. She kept her eyes closed, commanding herself to listen to the beat of his heart, pay no attention to the voice of her own. You can sleep in tomorrow. Idly toyed with her hair. He wanted her there in the morning. Badly wanted her there in the morning. Something to think about later. Maybe do some sightseeing or shopping. You hang around for most of the day. You can follow me home. Alright. She simply didn't have the strength to assert herself. Besides, she told herself it made sense. The Baltimore Belt way was confusing. Unfamiliar ground. She would enjoy spending a few hours exploring the city. It was certainly foolish to drive all the way back tonight in the rain, in the dark. You're awful agreeable. <laughs> he caught me in a weak moment. I'm hungry, and I don't want to face driving tonight. And I miss the city. Any city. Ah, oh, so it's not my irresistible charm and awesome sexual prowess. You can't stop smiling. No, but they don't hurt. I'll make you an egg white omelet in the morning, and you'll be my slave. She managed to laugh. We'll see about that. She was afraid she was entirely too close to slavery's condition now. The heart she was desperately trying to ignore continued to insist that she'd fallen in love with him. That, she warned herself, would be a much bigger, more prominent, permanent mistake than knocking on his door on a rainy evening. End of chapter 15.